of your life. One of the things that my dad enjoyed doing with us as kids, and he now enjoys this very much with his grandkids, is playing games. And one of my dad's favorite games when we were a kid growing up was the game Monopoly. And uh, that was just one of his favorite games. It would always take a long time, but um, his strategy was always, of course, to obtain the properties, park place, and boardwalk. That was his strategy. And um, we, of course, had to amass enough money and try to wipe him out before he could get houses and then hotels on those locations. But sometimes that strategy wouldn't work. One of us would get one of the properties, absolutely refuse to trade him anything for it, and then he would be stuck with the railroads. That's what he would be stuck with, you know. The railroads is all he would have as the railroads, and eventually we would wipe them out. And the way we did that is we would obtain the park, the properties on the red and the yellow um, pieces. We would obtain those. We would pack those out with hotels, and, and then he couldn't get past us to get to his place. And uh, we would trade anything for those things, even the utilities. It didn't matter what we had to trade to get rid of, but our goal was to obtain as much money as we could, buy as many houses as we could, put as many, then buy as many hotels and put them on the property and wipe out the other person. And I spent many, many hours as a kid playing the game Monopoly. And there's something about the game of Monopoly and there's something about having money and earning money and making money that has a very attractive power and a very attractive pull to in each of our lives. You know, and it starts as little kids when we're playing with these things and, you know, as, as we get a little bit older and get that first job and now we have that first taste of some actual income, it can slowly take over without us realizing it. There's a movie a number of years ago entitled Wall Street, and in that movie, it had this description of the, what greed was. And I want to read that for you. It's going to come up on the screen. It says, greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies. Greed cuts through and clarifies the evolutionary spirit. Now, if I were to ask this crowd, show of hands, how many of you are greedy this morning? Um, we got one hand back there in the very back. You know, we got another one there. So I didn't ask, but you put your hands up. So now we all know. But um, you know, it's a pretty modest crowd, and I think this crowd, this you know, who is here, they would generally say that you know, I'm not really, I'm not really greedy. But when I think about greedy people, I generally tend to think of you know, individuals like Wall Street, uh, Wall Street investment brokers, or or people that have big houses and fancy cars, or or people that run big corporations. They want to just stomp out the little guy and you know take advantage of them, and and that's what we think of when we think about being greedy. But what if I told you that Jesus said it doesn't matter how much money you have that determines whether or not you're greedy. The amount of money you have does not determine whether or not you're greedy. And this morning, we're going to take a hard look at what Jesus had to say about this subject. If you haven't been here with us, we've been in this series of studies on the parables. Um, these are stories that Jesus told throughout his life. And these are not the kind of fairy tale bedtime stories that have a nice happy ending. These are stories with an edge. These are stories that catch you by surprise. These are stories that without realizing it, you're drawn into it, you're interested in it, you're thinking about it, and then suddenly, you're the person in the story. And this story is about you. And last week we looked at the issue of entitlement. And we talked about what is it like when we live our lives as if we are an owner, when we're only a renter. And this morning if you've come with Dad to church because he asked you to come and you don't normally come and the church thing isn't your deal, um, you might be encouraged to hear what Jesus has to say about money. Or you might not be. You might not be. I thought, how ironic is it that I'm speaking about the subject of money and greed on, and stuff on Father's Day when most of us will get more stuff on Father's Day? You know, uh, 
But I'm sure that all of us here live somewhat comfortably and have a little bit extra. And Jesus is going to talk about that this morning. And that affects all of us regardless of where we're at on our spiritual journey. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn to Luke 12. Luke 12 is the passage we're going to be in this morning. Luke 12, if you don't have a Bible, our guys have some, and they will uh, pass those out to you, make them available. We'd love to have you follow along in those Bibles. Um, <clears throat> the, it'll also be up on the screen, and you can also connect um, to the Internet here and uh, download version and follow along on that as well. Luke chapter 12. As we've been talking about the parables, one of the things that's important is to look at the audience. Who is listening when Jesus is talking? Who's listening? Last week it was the religious leaders. This week it's a different audience. Luke chapter 12, verse 1, he identifies his audience. It says, When a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples. Um, this is a pretty massive amount of people in that day. Villages were a couple hundred people, several hundred people. And so to create a group that the size of thousands, um, there's a lot of people gathered there. They had heard about Jesus. This is partway through his ministry and they heard about him, heard about the, the storyteller, heard about the healer, and they were all there to hear them, to hear what he had to say. And as they're talking, he's speaking specifically to his disciples who are just the ones closest, the ones that were following, the ones that were there with him, but other people could hear as they were out in the crowd. And they were out in the crowd, someone heard what Jesus had to say and interrupted him. Last month I had a chance to speak to a... Uh, a local Christian school during the day of prayer in the beginning of May to a kindergarten through 12th grade chapel. And I don't do that very often. That's not my normal speaking audience that I'm communicating with. And so um, as I was speaking, um, often I will ask, and if you hear me speak, I'll ask rhetorical questions that I'm not intending for the audience to, to respond to. But I forgot that I was speaking to an audience that included first graders. So every time I asked a rhetorical question over in this corner, all the hands went up, you know, and they're doing this, trying to get my attention, you know, and... And uh, I'm just trying to not make eye contact with them, and eventually they put their hand down, you know. And then, you know, towards the end of the message, one little kid, he couldn't restrain himself any longer. So I said, yes or no? And the kid said, yes, you know, really loud, you know, just interrupted the whole thing, you know. Um, and it's kind of like that's what happened to Jesus. He's speaking to this whole crowd, and, he, and he's talking about it. You can read through the first part of chapter 12 there on your own. But in the midst of that, this guy jumps up with this question in verse 14, or verse 13. Look at the question. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, teacher was accurate because Jesus was one who taught all the time. He was teaching about the kingdom of God. But this guy doesn't ask about the kingdom of God. This guy doesn't ask about when the world's going to come to an end. This guy doesn't ask about relationships. He asked Jesus a legal question. A legal question. He says, teacher, can you take care of this legal problem for me? Now, based on the culture, we know a little bit of what was happening in that day. In that day, likely what had happened to this individual is his father had passed away. And in the culture of that day, the oldest son received a double inheritance. How many firstborn sons are here in the room? Let me see your hands. Oldest sons. Not just firstborn, but you're the oldest, okay? All right. How many of you are not the oldest son? Let me see your hands. Okay, it really sucks to be you because you got half or you got less than half, you know? And ladies, I'm sorry, there was nothing that was given to you. But um, Apparently what happened is the big brother had gotten the inheritance and it's his job to divide it. And he hadn't done it yet. And so this guy wasn't asking something unreasonable. 
something unreal. He was just asking for what was owed him. What was his part? He wasn't saying, give me more. He wasn't saying, I deserve more. He said, just give me what is my part. That's all that he was asking for. Um, But in the midst of this, look what Jesus goes on to say in verse 14. He says, why do you... Who appointed me to do this job? Who appointed me to do this job? I have people periodically come and ask me questions about legal matters. I'm like, hey, you're asking the wrong question, you know, the wrong person. That's really what Jesus said. But Jesus then took the opportunity to speak into a matter and tell a story. And he speaks into the matter in verse 15. He says this. He says, beware or watch out or be on your guard against all kinds of of greed. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? Because when I think when I think about greed, I think it's just oh somebody they got plenty and they want more. That's someone who's greedy. Jesus says, no. He says there's all different kinds of greed. And notice the next phrase, he says, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Now Jesus is not, as he has in other places, said, I want you to go and sell everything and give it to the poor. That's not what he's saying here. He's not saying you shouldn't have... He says, your life is more than the abundance or the extra that you have. But the extra is often how we reflect our worth and our value. Because what do we do when we have extra? What do we do? Well, we invest it. We might flaunt it. Hey, you wouldn't believe what happened to me. We might upgrade something in our lives, a vehicle or a home, and so everybody's aware that something has changed. We might buy more insurance, acquire more power. We might even present ourselves to be poor and not let it, because we don't want others to see it. But Jesus says, life is more than what you possess. And if God owns everything and he says you're a steward of this, what right do I have over not only everything I have, but my extras? This creates a dilemma because the Bible says that we should work hard. It says, learn from the ant. The Bible says that we should live on less and, and, and we shouldn't exceed. We should not have excessive debt. And so we pay down our debt. We live on less. We work hard. What's the result? You are going to have extra. So the confusing part of this experience is if I do what God says with my finances, I'm going to be faced with a dilemma of having more than what I need, especially in our Western culture today. So what do you do with all the extra? Is there anything wrong with just wanting a little more? Some things that are a little nicer? Oh, dear Lord. You made many, many poor people. I realize, of course, it's no shame to be poor, but it's no great honor either. Uh, So what would have been so terrible if I had the small fortune? If I were a rich man, all day long I bid a bid If I were a wealthy man, I wouldn't have to work hard 
If I were a bitter, rich, idle, little, idle, idle man, I'd build a big, tall house with rooms by the dozen, right in the middle of the town. A fine tin roof with real wooden floors below. There would be one long staircase just going up, and one even longer coming down, and one more leading nowhere just for show. I'd fill my yard with the chicks and turkeys and geese and ducks for the town to see and hear, squawking just as noisily as they can. And each loud will land like a trumpet on the ear, as if to say, here lives a wealthy man. If I were a rich man, yabidibidibidibidibidibidibidum, all day long I bidibidibum. If I were a wealthy man, I wouldn't have to work hard. Yabidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidum. If I were a bidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidibidibid
plan if he were just to give me a little extra you know replace that thing that's not as nice that thing that isn't working as well would it really mess things up that much well Jesus told a story and I want us to read these first couple verses of this story look at verse 16 it says a ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest he thought to himself what shall I do I have no place to store my crops he goes on to say in the next verse this I, then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus of grain. And then verse 19. And I said to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. If you look at the story of this guy, he actually does really well. He has a great year. Their business is up. Profits are up. Bonuses are in. A raise is on the horizon investments are doing nicely he has everything at his fingertips it's all going well but notice if you go back to verse 16 notice what he does when he realizes this he thought to himself what should i do now to us that doesn't seem very odd we oh yeah i think to myself about things all the time but remember this is written in an ancient near eastern culture that is heavily communal and when you are thinking about something, you discussed it with your family, you discussed it with your friends, you discussed it with the elders at the city gates. Everybody knew everybody's business in that day. You know, kind of like living in Lancaster County a little bit, you know? I mean, you know? But you didn't just do things on your own in that culture and in that day. But he just thought to himself. Himself. Isaiah 5.8 says this. Look at it as it comes up on the screen. It says, Woe to you who add house to house and join field to field till no space is left and you live alone in the land. What you come to realize quickly is this guy didn't... There's no evidence of any family in this story. No evidence of any friends. No evidence of any business partners. No evidence of any relationship. He's all by himself. And so what does he decide to do? Open up another account, tear down the barns, build bigger barns in the next verse. Doesn't really seem like a bad idea, but if you look at verse 18, he says, this is what I'm going to do. I will tear it down. I will store my surplus grain. And then in verse 19, I will say to myself, you've done pretty well. You've done pretty well. No mention of employees. Somebody had to harvest all that grain. I don't think he did it himself. No mention of people that work for him. It's all about him. And he ends with this dialogue with his soul where he says, take life easy. And that word life is the, the word where we get the word soul. He says, just, you can kind of take it easy. Rest easy. He says, eat, drink, and be merry. But there's no one there to celebrate it with. 
Solomon in the Old Testament talked about that. In Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 15, this is what he said. He said, So I command the enjoyment of life because there's nothing better for a person under the sun than eat, drink, and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of the life that God has given to them. But that's really all this guy's soul is about. His soul, the core of who he is, is all about possessions and then simply pure enjoyment of those possessions himself. That's in a very stark contrast to what David in the Psalms said about his soul. In Psalms 40, Psalm 42.1, where he said, Like the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul longs or pants for you, O God. This guy just, his soul was all about himself. But it's easy to look at this guy and think, he did pretty well. He, he did pretty well. He wasn't like the guy that Solomon talked about in the Proverbs when he says, go to the ant, y'all sluggard, because you need to learn from him because you're a lazy bum and you need to get off your duff and do some work. This guy was obviously a hard worker of value that we know about in our community. He not only was a hard worker, but he saved and he planned for the future. He didn't just throw it all away. He built bigger barns so that he'd have more to go plant for the next year. So he was a wise investor. He was discerning, likely didn't have any debt, ready for retirement. His kid's college fund is packed out. He lived life seemingly well. And you almost anticipate that at this point in the story that God would say something like, you have really done well and because you've honored me with a little bit, I'm going to bless you with even more. We almost are anticipating that to be the next phrase in the story. not ready to hear what God says. When you look at all that this guy has done that appears to be on the surface right. Because what does God say next to him in, verse, in the next verse? He says, you fool. You fool. Now, God didn't just say to him, you know, you're, you're really kind of missing this one area of thinking about something beyond yourself and it would be a good idea if you did that. that that's not what God says. God doesn't say, you know, some of your money should go to help others. That's not what God says. His categoric, comprehensive analysis of this guy's way he is living life is a fool. A fool. Not what you expect to hear when you see what the outcome of his life was like. He goes on to say in this phrase, this very night your life or your soul will be demanded from you. <clears throat> this is the language when someone calls in a loan. When you borrow money from someone, they say, time to pay up. Time to pay the piper. That's what God said to the guy. He was planning for what's coming next. And God says, mm-mm, time to pay the piper. You're done. You're done. Done. And it's a powerful reminder for us that life is not a right. Life is not a privilege. Tomorrow is not something you and I deserve. Tomorrow is a gift that God blesses us with every single day. The man in the story forgot this and he believed it was all his and the surplus was all his and he could do whatever he wanted to do with it. 
and it would be fine. But it wasn't. He forgot what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 2, verse 18 and 19. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun, because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. The reality is that someone's going to get all our stuff. And um, they're going to decide what to do with it. You and I won't. You and I won't. And I think what Jesus did is he was trying to alert his audience. He was trying to wake his audience up who were likely very poor. Very poor. And say to them, greed is not connected to the amount of money in your pocket or in your accounts or on your net worth statement. Greed is not connected to that. Greed is all about forgetting that there's more to this life, forgetting that life is short and we don't know if tomorrow is guaranteed for us. And when it's given to us, to recognize that as a gift from God and recognize that if all I do is pay attention to that stuff, I'm going to miss something very, very significant. Look what he says in verse 21. He says this, This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for himself themselves but is not rich toward God. The one who continues to labor for themselves and the one who continues to be attentive to only my own stuff. One day God's going to say, time's up. Time's up. And you're done. I don't know what it is about our culture, but we have this thing about collecting. Collecting. When I was a kid, I collected baseball cards, and I got boxes of baseball cards. And you know, I was a big Baltimore Colts fan before they up and left, went to Indy. You know, and you know, in the late '70s, oh, I hated the Steelers. They always beat the Colts in the playoffs. You know, and I collected newspaper clippings about the Burt Jones and Lydell Mitchell, my favorite teams. And I collected this stuff. Now, what am I going to do with this stuff? You know, I just collect things. My son was on this binge of collecting Arizona tea cans. I don't know what we, that was all about, you know. Just took him to recycling the other day. Good thing, you know. One of the things a few years ago I said to my family, I'd like to have an nativity scene. We didn't have a nativity scene. Who's a pastor not have a nativity scene in it? So we went to Shady Maple on their half-price off-sale on, you know, Midnight Gladness and started, bought a little piece, and each time we buy a little bit more. And so now we have a nativity scene and. One of my family said, well, why aren't we going to get something more? I'm like, what do you mean something more? I'm like, they have the whole city of Jerusalem. They have the whole city of Bethlehem. I'm like, I don't need the whole city of Bethlehem in my house. You know, I, I just wanted a little nativity scene, you know. A few years to have the whole Middle East, you know, could take over my basement. You know, Saudi Arabia and Jordan and Iraq. I mean, but isn't that what happens to us? You know, like, oh, that would be nice to have something that's little like this. And then we just add more and more and more and more and more and more. I won't even ask you how many of you have bought something and then gone home and found the thing you just bought. Guys with tools, you know. I mean, and then what do we do with the thing that we don't ever take it back? That would be too embarrassing to say, oh, I'm sorry, I already had one, you know, I just found it. No. No, we keep it and we just add more to our stuff. You know, biggest, fastest growing, one of the big growing industries in our area and around the country, you know what it is? Storage units. 
to store all of our crap that we don't even know what it is, and then somebody sell, and then, then we forget to pay the rent, and it gets sold out from under us, and somebody else buys our junk, you know, like Matt Weston, you know. I mean, you know, what's up with all of that? But that's just kind of the world that we live in. And we look at this dude who seemed like he was doing some good stuff and saving and planning for the future and having extra. And God's analysis of his life is, you are a fool. And what would he say to me? And what would he say to you? On that final day, that final hour. When he looks at our accumulation of our stuff. It's a very sobering thought. And I don't think what God is saying to us is you're not supposed to have things that you need in this life not the message today. I hope you don't walk away with that thought. But I can justify purchases. I can argue my way out of into things that I need more of all the time. And there's nobody telling me you shouldn't do that. But Jesus is giving us a warning today. And He's saying, You need to think real carefully about what you're doing with your stuff. You need to think real carefully about what you do when you have a little bit of extra that you weren't expecting. What do you do with it? Some of you may be listening to me this morning and you may say, you know, John, I really, I I don't have a lot of extra. And maybe you don't. And for you, this challenge is to say, God, I just want to be grateful for what you give me and grateful for every day. Maybe you have all your needs met and um, you have a little bit more. I want to challenge you, what are you longing for more of? What are you doing with your surplus, with your extra? Some of you have a lot of extra. And God's God has been very good to you. And um, one day you'll have to give an account to God for what you did with all of that. We all will. We all will. And so this morning as we wrap up, I want to challenge you to think about these couple of things. Number one is just to be grateful for every day as a gift from God. Be grateful for each day as a gift from God. This guy forgot that. And God said, time's up. Time's up. Number two, are you focused on what you want or what you need? Um, I was talking to somebody who, uh, between services, and they were saying, yeah, I hate when I get asked, what do I need? You know, what do I want? But what's your focus on? What's your focus on? Number three, what do you do with surplus? What do you do when you got two of things, two of something? Do you keep it? Case on my break? What do you do with it? And I want you to walk away with this phrase. Are you stockpiling or are you sharing what you have? 
Are you stockpiling or are you sharing what you have? Because this guy was obviously stockpiling it. He was just stocking it, stocking it, stocking it. Um, this really forces us, especially in our Western culture, to ask a lot of hard questions about, I, about things in our culture that are very culturally accepted norms, like retirement funds, like college funds, all these things that have become the norm that we've started to believe that this is wise and is there a component of that? I think that there is. But what's my motivation for having that? What's my motivation for having that? And we're forced to face this reality with this story today. So what are you doing with it? Are you stockpiling it? Or are you sharing it? You know, I thought to myself, I thought, what if we went home and... Um, one of the benefits of when you move is you have to purge everything, right? So did you guys just purge everything? Pierce has just moved back in. They just purged everything. We've been in the same house for 23 years. Now, fortunately, my wife is a thrower. She throws stuff out. So it might disappear and you wonder where it went, you know. But, um, um, but if you're not like that, um, you probably have layers upon layers of things. And, and it might be time to do something about that, you know? I don't know if you've heard the statistics. If you haven't used something in about two to three years, you're not going to. If you haven't worn it in two to three years, you're not going to get back into it. Let me just tell you that. And let's just be honest with one another, you know. And if you do, you know, um, buy yourself some new clothes as a reward, you know. But um, we just need to be honest with ourselves and say, I got all this extra stuff sitting around that I'm not doing anything with it. And I thought to myself, I thought, you know, if we, if we said we're just going to purge our stuff, you know, I imagine we could fill that building up in Five Pointville so full we'd have to figure out what to do with all this stuff now that we have to bless other people with it. What would that be like? I said, you know, I'm not going to stockpile my stuff. I'm going to have what I need. I'm going to trust God to meet my needs beyond that. And I'm not going to hoard it a rainy day that may never come. I want to invite you to bow your heads with me and just take a moment and uh, meet with God. And I want you to ask honestly, am I stockpiling or am I sharing? Just listen to what He has to say to you this morning. God, this is another one of those stories that it's really easy to look at and say, what was that guy thinking? And miss that Jesus is talking to us this morning about our stuff, about the extra, about what we prioritize in our lives. Just that statement, our life is more than all of the extra stuff that I have.
my life about being rich towards God? Lord, it's, it's just so easy for me to forget this um, when I walk out of these doors. It's so easy for me to forget every day is a gift. Lord, I pray that you'd help us as we wrestle with this reality, as we seek to live in a way that is not going to get encouraged anywhere in our culture today. That we might have a sense that this is what following Jesus looks like when I make these kind of choices in my life. God, we need your help to do this that there's one thing that gets a stranglehold around our hearts and our lives. It's our money. God, we need you to pry our hands open like we would do with a young child holding something that could harm them. And um, say, so you know, God, it's time, to, it's time to get rid of some of this stuff. It's time to sell this, give this away, bless others because I don't want my life to be about this stuff but someone else eventually will get. In your name we pray. Amen.